All right. Well, I'd like to show you a picture to start the sermon today. Does anybody recognize this individual? Does anybody remember her name? Baruch Salt, yes, from the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. She didn't care how. She just wanted it now. And ironically, me included, you know, we look at her, we see that movie, we think, boy, she's kind of spoiled. She's kind of a spoiled, rotten little brat. But sometimes I catch myself behaving in this exact same manner. Like, when I come to a stop sign, I, I hate to even come to a complete stop anymore, you know. I kind of roll through them sometimes. I catch myself because I want to go now, right? Or go to the doctor and I get a scan, like some of us have gotten recently, or a test done. And what's my first thing I do after I get a scan? I ask the tech, hey, did you see anything in there? Did you notice anything? And I get the same response every time. You have to wait for the doctor. But I wanted some feedback now, right? And don't even get me started on fast food. If I happen to be waiting in a line for a fast food restaurant for very long, I think there's something horrible going on up there because I want to eat now. Can you guys relate? See, by nature, you might not know this about me, but by nature, I'm a very anxious person. Okay, and I've tried to work on that over the years. It's just how I was created. I'm just an anxious person. I can't sit still for very long. It's just a characteristic of mine. You know, Nikki figured this out a long time ago about my being. And we were, because when we got for Sunday lunches, right? And when we got the check, who was the first one up? Me. I got the check. I'm done eating. I want to go now. Let's get on with the day. I need to go now. So I'd always go. Now, Tina, on the other hand, she liked to sit around and visit and all that. But I like to get up and go. So one Sunday... Nikki decides, plans with Tina, and decides to sit me next to the wall in a booth. And she sat right down next to me, and Tina was on the other side of me, and the other part, probably Paul right there. Sure enough, the check came that day, and what's Mark? He gets out his billfold. He's ready to get up and go. And I look over at Nikki, and she goes, nope. <laughs> I said, what? And so for the next half hour, hour, I'm trying to get up, and every time I look over, Nikki's like, nope. And as a result, I had the best two-and-a-half-hour lunch I ever had in my life, but it was, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. I'm just an anxious person. And if I'm not careful, I tend to approach God with the same fast-service expectations that I have for Chick-fil-A. And sometimes the last thing on my mind is, God, what are you trying to teach me by making me wait? You know, It's more like... God, I'm laying my problem at your feet, and I love you, and I know you're going to do what's best, but can you help me now? Well, today we're going to explore how Joseph and others managed their weight, and that might help us do so as well. Because in reality, nobody likes to wait, do they? Nobody says, oh, good, a traffic jam up ahead. You know, Oh, I love driving in Chicago rush hour traffic, or thanks, operator, I was hoping you'd put me back on hold. I mean, we don't, <laughs> we don't nobody likes to wait. It's hard. And in one sense or another, we're all really waiting on something, a new job, a new chapter in our life. We're waiting for retirement. We're waiting for grandkids. We're waiting, from, waiting for tests from a doctor or waiting for a treatment program to, to finish up. And in our time, waiting days can seem like years. It's hard because those situations are, are often out of our control. So the question today is this, that we want to wrap our brains around. Instead of wasting or being unproductive with time, how can you better manage your weight? Joseph is a good example in Scripture of being faithful during times of waiting. So before we let our weight cause us to grow bitter or assume that God's forsaken us in our prison, whatever it might be, I invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 41 this morning. And as a quick review, in case you've missed a couple Sundays or last Sunday, 
series of events have brought us to this point. It all started in Joseph's life when he was just 17 years old. And we remember that his older brothers attacked him 10 on one, right? And they threw him in a dry well. And then they, dis- they discussed plans on how to kill Joseph while they sat down to eat supper. And he pleaded for his life. It was a short wait for Joseph in that case, but I'm sure it was a very tough wait. Because instead of murder, they settled on kidnapping and sold him to slave traders, where for weeks he had to just walk, wait some more, walk and wait, walk and wait until he arrived in Egypt, probably weeks or months later. Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar, if you remember from last week. And every morning he woke up, and he knew that he was going to be harassed by Potiphar's wife. That he didn't have to wait very long for. But I'm sure he couldn't wait to get out of there, and it wasn't long that Joseph's wish was granted. He didn't give in to her seductions, right? She falsely accused him of rape, and he was sentenced to prison, where guess what? He had to wait some more. And prison's not a very pleasant place. It wasn't then, and I'm sure it's not now. So as we approach 41, let's quickly look at the last verse of the previous chapter. Because while Joseph is unjustly sitting in jail at this point, he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh's cupbearer and simply asked the cupbearer to remember him. When his dream becomes reality, just remember me. And since we're only studying Joseph for four weeks, we have to skip chapter 40. But the last verse of that chapter reads as follows. It says this, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And you can almost hear Joseph from prison shouting, are you serious? Come on, how can you forget the guy who interpreted a dream from God for you? Yet he's forced to wait again, albeit for a little, a shorter season this time as we, as we begin chapter 41. So let's get into the text this morning. And we read, when two full years had passed, not super short, I guess, pretty reasonable amount of time, when two Full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And then seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, yeah, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. The other man was impaled. 
So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon where he had shaved. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So now, it's Pharaoh's turn to wait. And Pharaoh doesn't like to wait any more than you or I do, right? He had a dream, he wants the answer, and he wants it now. And he turned everywhere possible to find the answer. He, we read he, he looked at, to the magicians. He gathered the wise men all throughout Egypt. Nobody could help Pharaoh with his interpretation. And it left him wondering, is there anybody in my big country, in all of my land, that can help me interpret this dream? Well, we know there was one individual who could help him interpret the dream. Joseph was still sitting in prison after two, two more years managing his weight. And in his waiting, Joseph is not alone. And here's what I mean by that. I mean he's not the only person in history who's been forced to wait. And who knows, maybe some of you are in this period right now where you're waiting on something. And if you're not, just stick around. You probably will come upon that season pretty quick. So let me offer you some examples of famous waits in the Bible, okay? We remember the story of Jacob. Joseph's father, which happened not too, not too long before this story. Um, what happened to Jacob? He had to work seven years. He had to wait seven years before he could marry Rachel. And then he was tricked actually into working seven more years. Now, that's a pretty long engagement. That's a pretty long wait, right? I mean, would you ladies think so? Is seven years a pretty long engagement? That's a long time to wait. But strangely enough, we read in Genesis 29, what did Jacob think of that wait? We read in there that it seemed like a day to him. It only seemed like a day because Jacob managed the weight. And instead of focusing on things he didn't have, he focused on service. And he focused on the reward to come. And then there's Moses. Moses saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, right? And he didn't care how. He just wanted justice now. So he kills the Egyptian, and he's forced to flee the country, and he spends the next 40 years of his life tending sheep in the desert before God calls him back to take his people to the promised land. And finally, there's the apostles. Let's put ourselves in their sandals for a minute. They witnessed Jesus' betrayal. They witnessed his suffering. They witnessed the cross. They witnessed his death. But then they witnessed the burial, and they witnessed Christ's resurrection, after which Christ appears to them on multiple occasions once he's resurrected, confirming he's alive, and they get to fellowship with the risen Christ. Can you believe that? And they get to be with him. And then he commissions them. Go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is about to ascend back to the Father. And you would think that those apostles are so amped up. It's like last Friday at, at the Auburn football team game, right? They're probably just fired up, so excited, and the hands are in the huddle, in the middle. They're huddled up together. They got their hands in, and they, they picture the coach coming over, going, okay, team, on three, one, two, three, let's go. They had to be so excited. But what happens? Instead, it's back to the bench for a few more weeks until the Holy Spirit comes. Then you can begin your mission. Until then, they had to wait. They had to wait in Jerusalem, where they were wanted men, by the way, until the day of Pentecost. 
It couldn't have been easy for them. So how did they do it? What was their secret? How did they successfully manage their weight? So let's go to the apostles for some answers that might help us too. What did they do? Well, why they were in Jerusalem, we, we don't know everything they did, but if you read Acts chapter 1, here's a couple things they did. They stayed devoted to prayer, and they stayed devoted to Scripture. And we all know what happens shortly after that. I mean, God uses these guys to turn the world upside down. And we probably could use a little bit of that today. So during our wait, let's mirror this example set by the apostles. Let's fill our time with prayer and the study of Scripture. And you might be thinking, pretty simple, Mark. Yeah, we're in church. Of course you're going to say that. But it's simple but true. And the question just simply is, are you doing it? Am I doing it? Right? I mean, it's easy, and the formula is simple. Are you praying enough? Once a week, before meals? Are you reading scripture? Once a week at church? More often than that? That's what the apostles did too, in their period of waiting. And also, we can, we can get a good glimpse of what Joseph did here. You can control your weight by serving God and serving others. So there's a group of us going to the Feed My Starving Children event coming up. Serve God. Serve others during your wait. It doesn't matter how old you are. They will have a job for you to do to help feed hungry kids around the world. As we mentioned, there's an opportunity to work in the nursery for the James Project coming up. As you're waiting, help others. Serve. It could be as simple as a text to somebody, make a meal for somebody, go visit somebody. But we, we have decisions to make, guys, every day of our life. We have time. What am I going to do with the time? Am I going to bury it in the sand or am I going to use it for God's glory? And let's see what Joseph did. When he was in prison in 40, chapter 40, verse 4, we read this. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. He attended them. He took care of other prisoners. Even though he's there unfairly, he's serving others in jail. It was one of the few ways he could serve the Lord, but that's what he did. Those are biblical examples of how we need to manage our weight as we are waiting for the next job, as we're waiting to move on to the next grade in school. The list goes on and on and on. Stay in prayer. Stay in scriptures. Serve others. Stay faithful. Because like Joseph, see, all that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, everything that he's been waiting for is leading up to this very moment that we're going to read next, the interpretation of the dream before Pharaoh. And let's read this and listen to this like it's the very first time we're hearing it as we visualize this dialogue between a king and convict just brought out of jail. Let's start in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. 
The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So Pharaoh's wait is over in this case. Joseph, as an instrument of the Lord, is immediately able to interpret the dreams that we'll summarize in a moment. But first, I want you to appreciate the fact here that Joseph has a couple choices here. Right? First of all, he could have said no. That would have been probably stupid to do, but people do stupid things, right? He could have, he could have said no. He could have grown bitter in his time of weight. And sometimes whether or not you grow bitter is determined by you know, how well you're managing that weight. He could, have said, he could have stayed angry at his brothers, angry at Pharaoh, angry at God for everything he's been through that we've been talking about, angry at the world. He could have just crossed his arms and said no. I've been in your jail, Pharaoh, for the last two years. You want my help now? Not going to do it. He could have done that. He could have looked out for himself for a change. He could have used this for his own advantage. He could have said, Pharaoh, okay, but what's in it for me, right? How about a million bucks? I don't know. How about blessing me with something? And then maybe I'll tell you your dream. Make me an offer. He, wasn't, he wouldn't have been the first person in history to maybe use God's talent for personal gain. There are choices to make, consequences to face. Here's what he chose to do, though, okay? We read in verse 25, he chose to be faithful and honor God. Because the first thing he said to Pharaoh is like, Pharaoh, this isn't me. This is God, okay? I want to acknowledge, this is his testimony now. He's waited a long time to tell Pharaoh that, that my life and all your dreams, this is all for the glory of God. This is what God wants you to hear. So he explains he explains, first of all, that Pharaoh is mistaken. Pharaoh thinks he had two dreams, but actually they're one dream. And Joseph's math is like this. One dream plus one dream equals one dream. They're actually one and the same. The two dreams reinforce each other, and it means that they will come to pass. There is no doubt about it. Let me ask you a quick question. Back in chapter 37, how many dreams did Joseph have that his brothers and his family would bow down to him? Yes, two. He had two, meaning this is certain. This is going to come to pass. New Testament, how often do we read Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you? We read that a lot, right? Emphasis, repetition means what Jesus is saying is true. This will come to, to, to pass. And now Joseph's interpretation to Pharaoh is very straightforward. He says, there's going to be years of abundance, followed by years of famine. Get ready. It's going to happen, and it's coming soon. So what we hear is finally, what we see here, guys, is finally, after all this waiting of Joseph, decades of waiting, over a decade of waiting for Joseph, we start to see answers to questions that we've been posing in this study. Like, why? Why did God allow Joseph's brothers to betray him and sell him to, into Egypt as a slave in Egypt? Why did God allow Potiphar's wife to convince her husband to have Joseph thrown in prison? Why didn't God force that cupbearer that we just read about to remember Joseph? Why do you have to sit in prison for another two years after that? Why does God allow trials and tribulations in our lives? We now see that God had a big plan. He's had a big plan for Joseph. And as your wait continues, I hope you realize he's got a plan for you too. And God's plan for you, how he directs you, is unique 
to you. For me, if you don't mind me sharing real quick, I remember my grandfather encouraging me when I was Caleb Luzio's age. And he would encourage me every time I saw him, I saw him about twice a year. He was a Methodist minister for over 40 years in the state of New York. And I'd see him Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe once in the summer. Mark, have you considered going into full-time ministry? Every time. And I got in, finally when I got into high school, I said, Grandpa, no. No, I, I don't want to do that. And he said, Mark, the church needs good lay people. He said, you get in there and you serve if you're not going to be in full-time ministry. And boy, was he right, right? He is so right. So after I tried to, as I matured in years, I tried to serve here the best of my ability as a lay person in teaching, as an elder, sponsor different groups, etc. But all during that time, guys, there was a nudging. There was a pulling. Mark, reconsider the full-time ministry. Mark, would you consider full-time ministry? I squashed it. Time and time and time again, for whatever reason, squash it. We'd take a quick class at Lincoln, then I would squash it. We'd preach a quick sermon at a local church, I would squash it. It wasn't until I was in between jobs and God used the corporate downsizing of the company that I was with to really grab my attention, pull me into this direction, right? When the elder Lee actually said at the time, Mark, would you consider being the youth minister? And since then, you know, it's like eight years ago. I've finished my courses at Lincoln. I loved it, loved those classes. I love serving in full-time ministry. And I look back, and when that last corporate sales position was eliminated, was my first reaction, oh, you know, thank you, this is part of God's plan. No, I, I didn't have that reaction. But I can see now it was. And looking back, I don't know if Joseph realizes it or not. But God has been, been preparing Joseph for this moment his entire life. Running his father's business, getting the special coat, waiting in the pit, overseeing Potiphar's house where he was in charge of everything, serving in prison. It all prepared Joseph for this moment in his life. So I hope you realize as you battle your weight that if Joseph had squandered those years and self-pity, self-indulgence, whatever that might be, just self-indulgence. He would never be ready for a time such as this when he says in verse 33, all the way down to verse 40, he says, Pharaoh, let me give you a little piece of advice. And now, Pharaoh, look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should, should be held in reserve for the country and to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine." The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. 
What an ending. So the first thing we really need to notice is that Joseph was 30 years old when these events took place. And in Genesis chapter 37, how old was he when he was betrayed by his brothers? Does anybody remember? 17. Yes, 30. So math, tough stuff. Help me here. 30 minus 17 is 13 years. For 13 prime years of this young man's life, he's been abused, mistreated, imprisoned, but he was faithful. And he managed his weight, and God used him for God's purposes. Joseph humbled himself in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord lifted Joseph up. And now as Joseph, we would read on, if we would read on, Joseph is being driven around the streets of Egypt in a chariot, probably specially made for him, the second in command. And as he drives around Egypt, people are bowing down to him, recognizing his authority. This is where he's come to. I wonder, I wonder, did he think, wouldn't it be something, as he sees all these people bowing down to him, wouldn't it have been something if my brothers were in the crowd out there bowing down to me, just like God told me they would 17 years ago, excuse me, 13 years ago, in that dream I had many, many years ago. God is faithful. He keeps his word. Sometimes you just have to wait for it. Joseph's brothers were not in the crowd that day. But chances are Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar might have been. And that's an example of how God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies or how he anoints our heads with oil in his timing. And the chapter concludes with this, that Joseph is blessed not only with what we just learned, but with a couple boys. And we read that he calls the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget my hardships in my father's house. And the name of his second son, he named Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And with that, with those definitions, we see something I want you to appreciate. That when this weight is finally over, he's a humble man still. Within the meaning of Joseph's kids' names, he recognizes that God who allowed him to go to prison is the same God who rescued him and set him free. So instead of complaining about how difficult Joseph's life has been, he's able to look back and he's able to see God's hand on each and every event. Good ones and bad ones. He showed extreme faithfulness to God. I think a New, Te- a New Testament passage that came to mind was Joseph was able to experience the great mystery of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, that we know that in all things, everything, good or bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a promise from God. Romans 8.28, that's a promise. The catch is that God never promises it's going to happen right now. So if you're the type of person who wants it now, regardless of if it's an answer to a big question or a job or whatever you're waiting for. My hope is that if you properly manage it by what we've been talking about today, you'll get to experience that promise as well. The chapter of Joseph, this chapter of Joseph's life is drawing quickly to a close, and the final verse of this chapter says this. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was very severe over all the earth. That 
concluding verse leaves us to wonder, well, what's happening to the family back in Canaan? How are the brothers back there doing? We'll get to that, or you can get to that as you read on. But once again, what that shows is that there's a famine throughout the entire earth is that God's word is true. It's proven true. There were, as God just said, there were seven years of abundance, and sure enough, there were seven years of famine too. What we read in Scripture is truth. And as we get ready to wrap up, part of the truth that we read in Scripture is that God must judge sin. There's a penalty to pay associated with sin. He wouldn't be a righteous judge, would he, if he just overlooked sin. He must judge sin, part of who he is. Someone is going to pay the price for your sin. It's either going to be you or it'll be Jesus, if you believe and trust in the redemptive work of the cross. There are many things we have to wait for in life, as we've been talking about. But trusting Christ to save you and pay the penalty for your sins is one thing I would implore you to do right now. And once you trust in the Lord to save you, your life's, descent, your life's decisions are centered around his will. I don't know what, your, what direction your life's going to go, but I know by the grace of God, you can manage your weight. If you stay in prayer, stay in scripture, serve God, serve others, Stay faithful in the little things God puts in front of you, like properly managing your family so it's not dysfunctional. Remember that in chapter 37? Like staying sexually pure. Remember that last week? Being a faithful employee, a compassionate boss, a diligent student ready to share your testimony. Whatever it is, just make, most, make the most out of those times instead of just killing time. Trust him during your wait because trusting him is what it means to walk by faith. And finally, if God does bless you with the desires of your heart, whatever you're waiting for, and I hope he does, but if he does, stay humble like Joseph. Joseph didn't deserve, right? He didn't deserve anything he received in life. He didn't deserve to go to prison. We know that. But he certainly didn't deserve to be elevated to the second in command of Egypt either. He didn't, des- he didn't earn that, right? Everything he got in life, Good and bad, everything came from the hand of God. And through it all, he managed his weight, and he remembered God. He remained God's humble servant. And he led all of Egypt with the same amount of due diligence that he ran his father's business and that he managed Potiphar's house. So in conclusion of Genesis chapter 41 that we looked at today, Joseph is now somewhere around 39 years old. Okay, the seven years of famine has now happened at the conclusion of this chapter. There's a couple, well, the seven years of abundance has happened. There's a couple years of the famine, so we think he's around 39 years old. And, and probably it's going way better than he could have ever expected it, right? Everything except what? The relationship with his family. He hasn't seen his brothers in 22 years, and it's got to be eating him alive. So for Joseph, his weight is not quite over. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. But the good news for you is that your wait for the sermon to be over is now here. It's finally over. So I 